My name is Alfonso Calderon. I'm 16. I go to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. It is very windy in Portland today. By the other uh, kids in the March for Our Lives and the Never Again movement, I'm known as that guy. Well, my name is Rihanna. I'm 15 years right. old. I attend Gwendolyn Brooks College Prep in Chicago. Right. And I'm pretty much the same. Everyone says I'm too good. Welcome to Majority Minority. I'm Bill Douglas. I'm Franco Ordonez. Teens from all over are in D.C. this weekend for the March for Our Lives. It's part of the Never Again movement organized by the students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School after 17 students and teachers were killed there on Valentine's Day. Sadly, that's not even the most recent school shooting. Another one happened in Maryland this week. But no community has been impacted by gun violence more than the south side of Chicago. We're kicking off our third season here by taking a back seat. We're handing over the mics to two teenagers, one a suburban survivor of the Parkland shooting and another from Chicago's south side. They talk guns, the Never Again movement, and more. Then we'll talk with Rudy Crew, president of Medgar Evers College in Brooklyn, New York. He's been chancellor of New York City Public Schools and superintendent of Miami-Dade Schools, so he knows a thing or two about urban and suburban issues in education. With that, let's turn it over to Alfonso and Rihanna on Majority Minority. I've, I've been talking to a lot of people through everything that's happened, especially through my school and all the connections and all the, like, senators and congressmen. But, I, you know, this is the first time I'm actually speaking to someone who I feel like experiences things like how I experience it, but every single day. So, I mean, if you could just explain to me, like, what it's like so I could get a better understanding of what experiencing gun violence every day or at least some effect of it is like. I mean, like, Chicago itself is a really beautiful city. It's more so the West and the South side that experience the, the most violence. Living in Chicago, you just have to wash your back 24-7 because you never know what's really going on and what's going to happen, especially during the, um, the nighttime. Um, there's a lot of gun violence on our streets because a lot of young people have access to guns because maybe they're buying it from someone that they know or they're using it as a sense of protection from other people that have guns, you know, in gangs, a part of groups like that. Oh, wow. I remember when everything was going down at Douglas, I, you know, the, the worst always came to mind. And I'm just wondering if that's what it's like for you, if you're always thinking about, you know, I could honestly die right now. Do you, do you ever think that? I mean, like, no, no place to live in is actually safe, but for Chicago to have the strictest gun laws and have the most, the, the worst gun violence, it says something about a lot of things, you know? Definitely. Well, one thing that I know I'm aiming for is stricter gun laws. The only thing that I think is different about what happened at your school and what happens here every day in Chicago, people on the streets are using handguns, which probably isn't as dangerous as the uh, AR-15, probably can't cause as much damage, but at the same time, it could end someone's life like that. I don't know if you heard, but just today, there was another shooting um, in Maryland, and the student yeah. used a handgun. I mean, I just, I know when I heard the news, I was in math class, but I couldn't focus on a single thing. You know, we had a test, I decided not to take it, because I can't take it like that. I, mm -hmm. you know, I use, like, stress balls or a tennis ball. I always have one on it. I always, like, grab it really tight because it just helps with the stress. Yeah, because it's innocent, like, children that are dying. I yeah. mean, like, going to school, like, going to school should be the safest place you should be able to go. Absolutely. And, and now you feel your life going to any type of school because it could be a, another a school shooting any day, at any time. Like, this is supposed to be the greatest country in the world, yet gun violence is it's such not. an issue where it's just not an issue anywhere else. 
I, I do get the opportunity to talk to congressmen and senators all the time. I spoke to the senators from uh, Illinois just like two weeks ago. Is there anything you'd like for me to tell them, like as a constituent and as a person who experiences problems like this every single day? Um, I would like for them to know how much what's happening is impacting us as youth and how, like, we're doing what we're doing. Should They should be supporting us, but they're not. They're basically against everything that we're saying. And I wish that they could really look into our lives and, like, see what we're going through on a day-to-day basis. Do you know any stories, you know, that hit a little bit too close to home? Do you maybe know a friend or you or anyone who's experienced gun violence? Most of my friends have lost, like, really close friends of theirs or, like, even if family members. Like, my friend Casey lost her dad a couple of years ago. What if that was my mom that was in the armed robbery? What if she didn't make it out? Or what if somebody I knew was there? You know, just living in that fear, like, what if, what if this, what if that? And, you know, that's what I, that's what I typically go through. What if, you know? Yeah, the, the what ifs really get to me, too. You know, what if it wasn't the building next to my classroom? What if it was my classroom? It's up to us to fight for our own futures. It's taking a toll on, you know, like my education and stuff like that. But the thing is, like, I'm willing to go through all this if it means that I'm protecting other people's lives, you know? I've, you know, I've been pulled out of class a thousand times because of mail or because of interviews. And I mean, later today I'm flying to D.C. because of meetings and, and everything, and it's just it's insane. You know, this, this yeah. isn't what a 16-year-old and 15-year-old should have to be going through, but it's just what we have to do for yeah. change, which is sad to hear, but it's it's also very powerful because I think mm-hmm. the people who are affected by this kind of thing, like you and I, we're the ones who could actually yeah. change people's opinions, make them notice, mm-hmm. and make them feel what we went through. It's the impact that we're making on the world that's going to actually change something that's going to actually stop what's happening. A lot of adults and a lot of congressmen and senators, you know, they they talk about thoughts and prayers and they talk about how much they love what we're doing, but they're not doing anything. Nowadays, adults only, they only saying that they're proud of us because they want something out of this. They're not doing it because they're actually proud of us. They want something out of what we're doing, and they think that that's the only way for them to get it. Universal background checks are just the beginning, though. For example, the CDC is barred from studying gun violence, and that's a huge issue. You know, cause therefore, we can't really study a remedy to this issue. Or also, somebody yeah. who's on the terrorist watch list can't fly on a plane, but they can still buy a gun, which honestly is ridiculous to me. That's how the post yeah. nightclub shooting happened, where a lot of people passed away because the guy was on the terrorist watch list or for example banning bump stocks like i feel like that's something we have to do in order to eliminate fully automatic weapons completely because although they're outlawed they're illegal but it's illegal to have a fully automatic rifle it's still legal to buy a bump stock which just turns a semi-automatic rifle into one which is crazy you know i also think we need to have magazine limitations for example if you go hunting you know hunting ducks you can only have three shotgun shells and one shotgun like that's the rule Meanwhile, when it's just people, there's no limitation. You can just have whatever clip you want. You could have 30 bullets. You could have 60 bullets, and that's crazy. I totally get what you're saying. You know, I just, I'd like to ask, how do you feel about Never Again and the March for Our Lives and everything that's been happening? Because I know it's a little bit of a media circus, and it's a lot of attention being put on the issue, which is a good thing. But I know a lot of people haven't been happy with everything. You know, it's good that the youth are actually doing something that's going to change lives. But at the same time, I mean, 
We've been working here in other areas around Chicago, and we're only now being listened to. And that's all we're trying to do is stop the violence and to create peace in the communities for us to be able to live our lives. Well, what's activism been like for you? What do you want to have accomplished? We did a demonstration downtown, um, and we went to the mayor's office to meet with the mayor about our demands about what's happening in the community. And the mayor didn't show up. He actually sent his assistant to talk to us. And we thought that was really disrespectful for him to be able to just blow off young people and not even listen to us. They just don't even really tend to think about us. And we just try to fight against what's happening and try to get the justice that we so do deserve. Wow, that's really powerful. I, I want to thank you for talking to me today. Yeah, I appreciate talking to you, too. You know, it's good to listen to a different point of view and how similar but different we are at the same time. As you heard, that was Rihanna Holman and Alfonso Calderon, just 15 and 16, sharing their experience with gun violence and what they will say to the politicians in power. And now we want to welcome in Rudy Crew, who's speaking to us from Brooklyn. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us. Can I ask you specifically about Alfonso and Rihanna? I mean, listening to them talk about not being able to concentrate in math class, using stress balls, or, you know, the what ifs. What if this? What if it was my mom? What if it was my dad? What if I was in the other building over, as Alfonso said about the Parkland shooting? Is there anything that they said that kind of hit you in the gut? I literally, as they were talking, the place that I, it made my heart sink was the what if. It is this business of, I live in a world in which nothing is certain. Nothing is predictable. Not even my next class. So you've removed so much of what is basic to human development. So if a student is sitting in school, whether they are in an urban community, in a rural community, if they're sitting in school and they're contemplating, how long will it be before somebody comes into my school and does this? I mean, imagine having to have all of those conditions of what if in your day-to-day life. I mean, they make more decisions about that and the what ifs of their life than I do president of a college. What do you make of Rihanna saying it's only now that we're being listened to? You know, Black Lives Matter has been talking about this phenomenon writ large for a a very long period of time. In fact, communities of color have been talking about this issue writ large, whether it be in the form of the disproportionality of students being suspended or expelled who don't have access to college-going courses or to a high level of curriculum in their schools or to assets within their schools, things that labs and science labs and the like, and so on and so forth. I mean, people have been putting their hand on this question of what happens in this group or in this community versus that community. They've been talking about this forever. And now it has reached a feverish pitch where the disproportionality of who is being shot, it's happening in suburban communities now. Now it isn't just Black Lives Matter or a group of parents or a group of church people from the inner city coming together and talking about this or or praying about it or having a prayer vigil about it. No, now it is happening 
in Parkland, Florida. And so here you have large numbers of middle class and to some degree upper middle class students and their parents banding together to say no more. This will not stand. That's the horns of this dilemma is that it would take this kind of a community to basically register in the minds of lawmakers that this is now serious. You think this moment, more than Sandy Hook, more than Columbine, more than any other mass shooting we can think of, you think this moment is the pivotal moment where something concrete and substantive will be done? I, I think that it, it is, it's going to take more than this. It's going to take more than this. Um, but I think this in concert with the other things that are happening in the political universe are going to literally you know, create a jumping off point, if you will, where lawmakers are going to have to pay attention to this because it affects them where they live. And people are going to literally say, by virtue of these student voices, how dare we be a moral democracy in which we allowed young people to live with the uncertainty of death in their day-to-day going-to-school lives? Now, I think you're seeing this having happened all this many times over the last decade. Now you're seeing this becoming more routinized, and I think it is the routinization of this that people are essentially beginning to say, this can't be who we really are. And I think those voices are being led by these students. What else has to happen for change to occur? I do think we've got to make the distinction between drawing boundaries around gun access, age limits, kind of weaponry that you can purchase in the open market. I think that's got to happen. I think on the other side of the equation, you've got to have much more attention being paid to what it takes to actually develop human minds in this country. Let me say that more specifically. I think you're going to have to have more guidance people in schools. I think you're going to have to have more people who are connected in some way to sort of tactile, their hands, their art, uh, the vocational programming, give people a chance to be successful. Many of these young people who are doing some of this don't ever feel successful and haven't ever felt successful in their entire academic world, which is why they don't belong anyplace. You're going to have to restore programs across cities that give young people a chance to feel like they've got something significant to offer. How did we get here, though? You know, maybe I'm showing my age here. You know, maybe you had a, like a knife in school, you know, versus, you know, taking an AR-15 to school. How did we get to this point? These matters escalate uh, over time. And I think it, it derives from people living lives of isolation. The country has been more separated and growing more segregated by race and class than ever before. Um, It wasn't the case as much when I was a high school principal, and it wasn't that much of a case when I was a kid. You don't socialize with people. You learn to dislike those people for all of the stereotypic reasons uh, that we're seeing played out now. And as time goes on, incrementally, the tensions about that become much more manifest in government. They aren't just happening in your neighborhood. They're happening in city council meetings or they're happening in government. And so what you see now is a country that has actually almost baked into the fabric of the conversation this divisiveness. 
among people, and I think what these young students are saying is we, we'll have none of that. There's a, a culture and a counterculture that are having this conversation. And we got here because we allowed that conversation to become mainstream. When, when you say, like, getting rid of the isolation and kind of getting them more involved, is that school groups? Is that sports? Is that how do we get them involved so they don't feel isolated? In the last many, oh, I'm going to say last decade, maybe two decades, we've seen a gradual dwindling of programs in schools and in communities that were all designed to allow young people to have places by which they socialized and connected, whether it be uh, sports, the arts that all too often fall under budget cuts, the opportunity for students to have after-school programs, whether it be chess clubs and so on and so forth, or just study groups in general. Um, this young student, I think her name was Rihanna, talked about not, you know, not even having the ability anymore to have predictable things in their day-to-day -day world that they can count on because of fear of gun violence and so on and so forth. So that kind of removes going to the park or hanging out after school and you know, just doing what students do after school, and, and, and I'll call that, for lack of a better term, socialization. They really don't have very much by which to, to take their energy or their thoughts or their ideas and so forth and go anyplace. So now what you're seeing is you're seeing them saying, hey, we, we, the need to connect is great. The need for this connection is intense. And we want to be connected, but we're just not able to really find ways to do that. But we've we've seen these mass shootings in suburban areas. These are neighborhoods that are supposed to be safe. These are places that are supposed to be immune from that sort of violence. So why are we seeing these these mass shootings at, at suburban schools? Yeah, I, I think, it, again, I think that it has to do with the fact that we have uh, missed uh, uh, the larger adult society has missed the clamoring, the, the call that students have been making for belonging to something. And whether you're in a suburban community and you are feeling sort of unconnected or you're in an urban community and you're feeling unconnected, the fact of the matter is you have this need to want to belong to something. And I think we've missed the idea of how important belonging is. Parents miss it. Schools miss it. And so the way I know we're missing it is we're so willing to cut these things from our existence. You would only cut it if you didn't believe or didn't understand how essential it really is. Are you saying they turn to different things when they don't feel like they belong? I'm saying that they, they feel a sense of isolation, and that isolation uh, for some becomes a real dysfunction. For others, it's they, they'll find something else to go do. Uh, they'll invent something or they'll group together and they'll create what they need as a way of being able to do that. Unfortunately, in some cases, gangs are simply a function of having no place else to belong but to one another. Perverse as it may be, but that's really what they're doing is just their right is to assemble and they're assembling uh, with a very different uh, imprimatur. And I'm simply saying I really do believe that we are seeing a nation that is having a a law and order discussion about guns, which in fact is appropriate and, and, and necessary, but we're not simultaneously having the real conversation uh, that deals with how students feel about living in a society and how do they get connected to that society through a variety of other you know, avenues that should in fact be available in their community. 
when they go back and they go a review of who these young people are, the common trait among them is they were isolates and they didn't know what to do about it. They had no coping skills for that. So they basically said, well, let me, let me just take it out on the people who seemingly did this to me. Is, is this issue a race issue? Does this come down to race in any way, shape, or form? Virtually everything we're talking about has to do with race and class. So I don't believe that America has been savvy enough or thoughtful enough or mindful enough about how to have the conversations that would disavow or take us away from our, our moorings that are out of either slavery or the civil rights era or uh, the Jim Crow era, where we stereotypically understood some people to be more uh, in need, if you will, of being handled by weaponry and by incarceration and, and that sort of thing. I, we're, we're still st twisted around that axle. You've lauded these kids for stepping up and taking a leading role in trying to make change. But should it come down to them? I do think that, that lawmakers have abdicated their responsibility here. I think that we have been politically guided rather than guided by, you know, sort of what people are referring to euphemistically as just common sense. There is a need for us to understand that the body politic is speaking to government. That's what we're watching right now with this, with this movement, with these students. They are essentially saying, and they're saying it quite reverently, I might add, this has to change. There can be no civil society in which we allow the mass numbers of shooting happening and no one speaks out in a lawmaking way. No one is courageous enough or thoughtful enough to basically do that. So I, I think we have abdicated our responsibility from it. I think we are looking for leadership in this. And in the, in the void, students have stepped up. That's what's making this so unique. Can I ask you, you know, how do you make sure that Rihanna and the kids in Chicago and the kids in New York are listened to? I think you've got to help them to become organized. They are organized to go for a march, but the march is going to now require a companion piece of work. And the work becomes, how do you now use that knowledge, that intelligence, and those young people in Rihanna's world, how do you start to use those young people to create that sort of, if you will, movement in Chicago? Not necessarily just in, in the larger sphere, but how do you now create it in the schools of Chicago? I mean, which is what I'd be most concerned with. So I would be looking at meeting with them and creating smaller task force with them, assigning faculty that could help them to bring forward specific budget recommendations that would be seen in the form of after-school programs, uh, athletic programs, arts programs, communication programs, uh, mentoring programs, etc. I'd be looking for them to bring those ideas into the way by which it's going to look in my own budget. Are you concerned those points might be missed in communities like Rihanna's? Yes, I am. I'm very concerned about it because it's not a clean world yet. So people are going to hear what they want to hear in some instances. But I'm simply saying, for whoever it is, I don't even know who it is right now, that's the superintendent of, of Chicago schools. That person should be literally taking these ideas in budgetary format. Somebody's got to literally say, young man, young woman, Rihanna, whomever, I want you and 10 other students to meet with this particular person in my office to help shape 
a budget request for this coming summer. Well, what would the summer start to look like? What would next fall start to look like? I understand cities are not going to have a gazillion dollars right this second, but you want to roll this out over a period of time. And you want to literally begin to build this into the fabric of a new day, of a new school year. I also believe that these students, and I'm going to use Rihanna as a good example because she's so bright, there is a need for us to really ask them to do more. Obviously, one size doesn't fit all. What do you need to do differently for the urban schools than the suburban schools, and how do you make sure that happens? You're right. They're, not, they're two different pieces of work. It seems to me that, particularly in urban communities, you've got a time issue. We're losing time on a year-by-year basis. More and more students um, need more and more. So you've got to rethink the architecture in urban schools. You've got to rethink the day, the year, what intercession looks like, what summer looks like. You've got to use time differently. You have to think about what accelerates the development of young people in urban schools. What is it that they can have available in the menu of offerings that would accelerate their growth and accelerate their ability, in some cases, to catch up even? Thirdly, in urban communities, you really have to make the connections to their next set of experiences, whether those experiences are going to college or they're going into a career. So you have to make the connection. You have to connect dots in ways that you might not necessarily have to do as much in a suburban community that has had the benefit of a sort of a social and occupational environment where students already see where those dots are connected. In the urban communities, it's not quite so apparent how do you get to work for Amazon when you are sitting in a school in Bed-Stuy. That's not as clear. You mentioned kind of organizing and helping Rihanna organize and kind of empowering them. When you hear Alfonso and Rihanna, what would be like the thing, if you were in a room with them, what advice would you give them? The same as I would my own children. I would be saying to them, you are now in a very, very important game, and it's a game you have to think of like you would chess. You've made one move. It's been an incredibly important move, and now you have to think about the second, the third, and the fourth move down the road. And let's talk about what that looks like. So what do you want to have happen out of this march? When and who are the people that you now need to collaborate with and put that conversation on the calendar right now? So if it's to meet with the mayor, and I understand he said said that the mayor didn't meet with them. Okay, so then the mayor will meet another day. And who can you get that will actually get you in with the mayor? And if it's not the mayor, then who is it that you need to talk to in city council? But they've got to see that there's a level of work to be done beyond the march. And civil rights requires a whole lot more elbow grease and pushing than just a wonderful, powerful day uh, of marching. So they need a mentor. This isn't something that they can do one day, have a great day, it'll be on television for, you know, one or two news cycles. And then after that, what? So bottom line is that they've only just begun. They've only just begun. And, and somebody's got to help them to write history here. Do you think they have the legs to run the marathon? I mean, is this going to... Yeah, I do. I do. I really do. And, and I do because the scope of this is so large. This is a little bit of Mandela and the movement for his release. This is a little bit of Martin and his movement for 
the Voting Rights Act. This is a movement, and movements don't stop on a dime. That's why people fear them as much as they do. This is what Rick Scott did. Is he just he said I got parents who are who are annoyed now. My whole state is about to go up in flames. So he had to go. He had to move. I think you're going to see the wisdom of that begin to seep into other state legislatures, um, and I think that you'll start to see this thing turn. The other thing is, I think you're going to see that as the conversation about the president's efficacy grows, and it is more intensely focused on a country that is living with a lower than usual moral standard, and we are permitting the chief executive of the nation to live at that moral standard, I think it's going to just fatigue people to the point where they can't, they can't keep track of how to make sense out of this kind of stance of no support for sensible gun laws and at the same time support for a person who is manifesting the kind of political trickery that we're seeing. Something will move because we're at that moment of combustion it ignites. The consciousness of American voting public will essentially have to make a decision about something. Either we, either we change this, or he's got to go, or both, or one or the other. But we can't live on the precipice of our own moral demise. And the more that we're closer to that precipice, the more I think there will be inch by inch somewhat you know, begrudgingly, uh, but there will be change. Dr. Rudy Crew, thank you very much for your time, your your knowledge. And, you know, this is an issue that, that we'll be paying attention to, and we hope to speak to you again in the future. Yeah, my pleasure. What really struck me, Bill, was how Dr. Crew's been around for a while. He's been in New York. He's been in Miami. He's, you know, but still, you could hear in his voice how he was taken by Rihanna and Alfonso, how these questions that they were raising about why only now the kids in Chicago are being listened to. You know, these questions of what if, what if it was my mom who was shot or Alfonso talking about what if I was in the other classroom? I mean, you could tell it really impacted Dr. Crew on a, on a you know, on a personal level. And then him sort of intimating about how these kids have had to grow up so fast because of this violence and how they have to be the ones to take this issue to the politicians, to the adults, if they hope to get change that they think is needed. It's really fascinating how these kids have taken this issue, they've put it under their arm, and they're running with it. It is amazing. And and the question is, will this moment last? This is a fascinating time. I think it's unlike anything we've really seen before. They are in the spotlight, and they are really stepping up to the platform. And we'll see where it goes. Thanks to Rihanna Holman, Alfonso Calderon, and Rudy Crew for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks to Jordan Marie Smith, Davin Coburn, and Ayana Morali for producing this episode. And thanks to our listeners. We're glad to be back for Season 3 and want to hear from you about what you think. Find Majority Minority on Apple Podcasts and give us a review. You can also find us on Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And we'll be back next week on Majority Minority.